Hi, I'm Jason Marcos. And I'm Barry Hamaguchi. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. R&B singer Maya burst onto the scene in 1998 with her sexy vocals and sultry dance moves. But after a string of hits and high-profile projects, she largely fell off the public radar for the last decade. Today, we're talking about her 2018 song, If Tomorrow Never Comes, and where she's been all this time. Did I tell you I called my mom um, last week and she answered the phone and I was like, what what are you listening to? Because I I heard my voice in the background (laughs) and I was like, what? Because I and I was like, is that an echo from my you know me calling? And then I was like, wait, but it's not echoing what I'm saying right now. And she's like, oh no no no, I'm just listening to your and Barry's podcast. Oh my, yeah, she was listening to every episode. <laughs> Hi, Jason's mom. Hi, Nani. Hello, hello in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have to watch us? We have to watch ourselves. We have to self censor. I mean, we haven't. We haven't now. Oh, I know. We're not we're not courting controversy over here. No, no. My mom's not a proponent of cancel culture. Oh good. Oh good. We're in this new world of limbo post election. Post election pre coup. You know, it's funny, we're talking about stuff um in a lot of these episodes and these episodes don't post for like a month because we're we're one we're slightly ahead in our recording schedule, but I'm also very, very sluggish in editing. Which is fine. Yeah. You know, it's like when the states have to count every vote. And we're just waiting sometimes for each new tranche of votes to come in. And each tranche is an episode. Yeah. But I'm getting so flustered and so harried in this process that I fully have been posting episodes without sending them to you in advance <laughs> on, like, on several occasions. So it's like I'm it's like I've been barring poll watchers <laughs> or the official observers. <laughs> And all of my access to what I'm what I'm posting (laughs) and all of my lawsuits have just been thrown out with prejudice. Um, (laughs) Anyway, um, so, yeah, because I'm trying to think like this, this episode will probably be posting. This episode might be posting closer to like Christmas if time continues to elapse. Well, that's good because I have already started listening to Christmas music. I have not. I've been listening to nothing. And I, I, you know, I think we always have this line item in our script that's about like, oh, like any good music. And you had reached out to me yesterday mm-hmm. because Jasmine Sullivan released a new song. And I was like, I haven't, I haven't listened to it. And so my life has gotten a bit chaotic. Um, we're playing a little game of catch up at work. You know, we were slow during the early days of the pandemic. We're trying to make up for lost time now. And so we are engaging in more work than can conceivably be accomplished by human people. Also known as Monday. Yeah. So we've been really uh, amping it up at work. And so everything is going to become very frazzled for me. And the thing that I've turned to for comfort, I don't know if I've talked to you about this, is watching like Twitch streamers play Among Us. Oh, Wait, among okay, so Among Us is the 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 little video game about um you're like astronauts. People. We played yeah. that game on my last family Zoom call. Okay. Like yeah, and so if people don't know what that is, why don't you describe it? I mean, from what I've observed, I've never played it, but you mm-hmm. get 10 people into like this multiplayer online gaming 
platform. Mm -hmm. And of the 10 people, two people are imposters. Mm -hmm. And for crewmates... Well, wait, hold on. They're they're astronauts, right? They're, they're trying astro to like well, get to sort of cosmonauts, something. They're in space. So some of the some of the maps some of the maps don't look like outer space. Some of them look like office buildings, but they are wearing like hazmat suits. So I guess they are astronauts. But basically, everyone runs around this ship or this building, I guess, in outer space. And you're trying to perform these tasks. You're trying to like fix wires. You're trying to download and upload information. You're trying to empty the trash. <laughs> whatever but at the same time the two people who are secretly imposters are running around trying to sabotage people and they're also trying to kill people mm -hmm. and every time a body is discovered or people can call emergency meetings the people have to kind of come back together and you discuss it like who you think the imposter is what was everyone doing and so suspicion just abound mm -hmm. and intrigue and it's interesting to watch these like kind of i guess professional among us players play it because they get very intense really yeah it gets very intense they are so familiar with each other that they've all developed these distinct playing styles these distinct strategies and i i find it all just fascinating but what i find most fascinating is like they'll live stream them sometimes on youtube mm. or sometimes they'll rebroadcast their twitch streams on youtube and so when you're watching those on youtube you can watch people like contribute money right like, have you ever gone into, like, a YouTube live? I, I know with Twitch you can. I don't, I don't know about YouTube, but... but... YouTube, ha I, YouTube has a similar platform called, okay. like, I think it's called Super Chat, right? And so mm -hmm. if you're in the live and you're in the chat, like, you can, you can contribute money via the Super Chat. And sometimes streamers, they offer, like, tiers of advantage, I guess, mm. when yeah. you start to, like, like contribute access? money... Yeah, but sometimes it's just they don't they don't offer anything. And these people are so popular that I was watching different streamers and you would just see someone drop like $90 into their super chat. And then I'm like watching the whole thing and and granted they're they're sitting there streaming this game for like 2 hours maybe, mm -hmm. 3 hours. But you know, 2 or 3 hours and pulling in maybe $1000 in tips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally wild to me and i just our, found it so fascinating do you remember do you remember our friend uh mutual friend tracy chan he used to come to my parties back in the day when we lived in i know Westwood. i know the name i feel like i was never I, I i i was always i always felt like to a certain extent i was very mr snuffleupagusy to your big bird <laughs> you know Wait, do you so remember like no one knew you existed yeah, do you you remember when Mr. Snuffleupagus was just Big Bird's imaginary friend and yeah, would like yeah, 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 kind yeah, of yeah. dart dart away whenever other people were around? So like, <laughs> I just remember you and Chris would always stand in the corner and talk shit about everybody. Well, I feel like that that was part of it, <laughs> but I feel like there was a period of time where we were cavorting about with an exceptionally large group of people, mm -hmm. like literally like a crew of like. 20 to 25 different people mm -hmm. and i don't have the mental capacity to meet that many people yeah yeah i mean i guess that was that was early on and then we kind of winnowed it down when it was like clear that because we, we couldn't afford to go to places that you could uh, actually have a reservation early on it was just like a handful of us hanging out mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and then it was like friends of friends or you just meet new people and then you'd meet their friends. And then it, it just ended up being a very large disparate yeah. group of people, I think. And then we all ended up like 
self-editing ourselves back into like discrete groups again yeah I a, feel group, like a, a group that could people... show up at the cheesecake factory and be seated relatively easily <laughs> i mean well, that I also, was the goal i also think that like i also think that in the at the end of the day like a lot of what that group of friends was composed of was actually like four or five yeah. discrete group of friends because mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of the people that we used to hang out with i see that they still hang out with each other right yeah yeah yeah, still see each other. Kind of broke off into the the natural satellites, but you know, Tracy yeah. used to work at. He's he's done a lot of different things, but he's um he was at Spotify, worked on Spotify artists, and now he's working at Twitch, and helping to build out their artist platforms. And you know, that was it wasn't really until he got there that I really kind of paid attention to Twitch because I just thought there was like no purpose for me to like know about it. You know, yeah. it's just not. You know, I thought of it just as like as a stream, a gaming game streaming platform, but you know, especially during the pandemic, Twitch has become a place for artists to perform and to make money. Oh, okay, because of the tip thing, right? Because you can get support, like DJs can do sets and mm-hmm. people can tip them. They can so they can still be doing their live gigs, you know. And it's and it's, I don't want to say it's niche, but it is it is a thing that is becoming more widely used. Mm-hmm. as a platform for for artists and and gamers and whoever to connect with an audience right and build their now own is community. the time to strike yeah exactly because it's like live performance of another kind the purpose of something like a twitch stream to non-gamer fans probably mm-hmm. seemed pretty elusive to yeah mainstream america well, or means the mainstream world basically and, and, and one way to think about it a little bit is or, or one reason you can see how it works is, I mean, just look at the versus battles, right? The quote unquote battles mm-hmm. that they have on Instagram. And now they've been bought by Apple Music or there's a there's a integration with that. And so, you know, you can you go and you, you sign on to Instagram or you sign into Apple Music and you watch these two performers that you love kind of do their thing. And people are loving it. Right. They're contributing comments and, and sharing the clips and, and whatever. But, like, if you're an artist, like, you can't monetize that, really, right? And there's no way, even if you wanted, but there's no mechanism through those platforms to do that. And Twitch kind of takes that idea and allows you to monetize it directly with your fans. And so I think, you know, as we go into this era where it's like, what will live performance look like in the next year, in the next decade, post-COVID, you know, people are getting really creative. So that's funny. I, I can't even imagine playing that game like that seriously people get real crazy about yeah. it and um what was my point oh i don't listen to music anymore i just <laughs> listen to people play among us i actually got into it because a couple weeks before the election aoc mm-hmm. was oh, yeah. on like there because she she gets on twitch a lot actually right i don't know if she gets on a lot but she's she has some familiarity with a lot of the twitch streamers and then there's a twitch streamer hassan piker uh-huh He's oh, part of the Young Turks. Okay, yeah. He, he's be part of the Young Turks, and like now he does Twitch streams. He does like a lot of live reactions to um, all the presidential stuff that's been happening. Yeah. Know? Okay. Yeah. I've been and seeing and he, I think he's like a you know longtime Bernie supporter, right? And I guess he had coordinated this Twitch stream with AOC and a bunch of other like big time Among Us streamers. Okay. To kind of get her into the game, and um oh um Ilhan Omar, she was okay. also there. Okay. And so they got them on there and it was just really funny. I, I was watch I I'd never even opened my Twitch app and then I saw it 
I saw it show up on my Twitter stream and then I was like, oh, what is this? And so I, I logged into Twitch and I was watching AOC play Among Us. And I will say that like, I'm not like, like I, I like AOC and mm-hmm. I like what she stands for. I've never been like a fervent I get it. support. I, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you, you don't. You're I've familiar with like, her. You largely agree, but you're not like following her every move. I think, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like, uh, what is it? An enthusiast. Right. But then it was funny because watching her on Twitch streaming this Among Us game, mm-hmm. it actually really helped me to see her as a person, I think. Yeah. I think that's why and she, I, I mean, obviously that's why she Yeah, No, totally, totally, yeah. totally. She's very, she can be very endearing and she's so articulate about like, in just so like, articulate. even even in the most ca- casual conversations. The vitriol against her is so baffling to me because she's just so... I wouldn't even necessarily think of her as controversial. Me either, but you know, because she's that's... so she's so measured in everything that she says, and I think that like all of the like all of the slant about her being an extremist or wanting to like blow up the world, it's so overblown and out of context. Yeah, because she's actually just so measured in the way that she talks about the issues. Mm-hmm. When you actually hear her talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's not the headline. Like she goes into in in great depth, right? Yeah, well, because it's they never use like an actual quote of hers. They use like yeah. a, you know, a blown up, taken to like the most absurd sort of conclusion, sort of positioning statement. Like like yeah. you know, they want to take away all your cows or yeah. stop airplanes you know and you're like no one has ever said that yeah and it's kind of like they yeah. take what she's saying they apply the butterfly effect to it mm-hmm. and they say this is the end result of you know the butterfly flapping its wing right yeah i mean but maybe 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 we just don't think it's radical because we're baby eating li- liberal pedophiles who are intent yeah. on destroying the world no i yeah maybe but in, I guess, I guess at the same time, like, I just, I guess I don't think that we are accustomed to listening in great detail to each other anymore. You know, like we live in a, we live in a time when I feel like there's a general expectation that all information, regardless of complexity, should be absorbable in a single headline or a single sentence, right? I, like people yeah. want, people want to understand coronavirus in a single sentence or in a headline, or they want to understand election results or um, election processes, you know, in a single headline. And so it's really easy to extrapolate like a huge misunderstanding and a huge divide when we're only looking at stuff from that standpoint. I would say it's not benign though. It's not like it's easy to extrapolate that huge divide. I mean, I think that that is that, predilection of people to have some to, to only want like the most boiled down sound biting nugget of whatever is weaponized by whoever is yeah. you know has has a has a method and it's it's it just seems so much more extreme to me now it it i mean it does i think it's i think maybe even less that it's more extreme it's just more obvious i think that like and i think there is so much ways, more there are so many more headlines and there's there's, accessible to people like i you know kind of like twitter and stuff like it's it's so much more simple to just log into twitter or you know look at a news feed 
and only see headlines and extrapolate versus what like you when want you, from it versus like you know in the olden days of like a newspaper or even mm-hmm. like a blog right that you would see the headline there might be like a subhead and then to really understand what they're saying like you'd have to read in full also the idea that i think that we live in an era where things have to be clickable yeah there's so much more there is more there's so much more emphasis placed on the idea that a headline should grab people's attention and make them want to click on it rather than having the headline accurately represent the full the full contents of something you know yeah i I, and for the vast majority of people that don't still don't click on it and still just read the headline it all sounds really inflammatory i get that i get that because i get that i I mean i get that from like liberal news sources too that like when, sometimes when I see a headline about a characterization of something that like a conservative pundit said on air and I actually watch it, I'm like, well, that's, that's not entirely what happened. Right. Mm. I mean, like, it it's depend- a little yeah. more measured I mean, than I guess it depends on where, where, whose, whose headline we're talking about, like which media, I don't oh, yeah, think yeah. that it's, I don't think it's necessarily that extreme across the board, but I, you know, I oh, yeah, do yeah, try to get the in the habit of just being like, okay, let me just click through. <laughs> Like, and like actually know what it is and then push back when I hear like that sort of very boiled down talking point that like, you know, like where it's misrepresenting something. But, you know, and that's why it's important for us to have this podcast and push back on the narratives (laughs) of these these flops that may or may not be flops. Or maybe they are flops, but there's a lot of nuance. They are flops. (laughs) Well, yeah, there is nuance. Oh, wow. We're way, we're way, we're way, it's okay. way deep into this and we Look. haven't talked about anything yet. So we're talking about Maya today, right? We and are. I, you know, um, we're going to get into it very shortly because, you know, we've been recording for quite some time talking about nothing. Well, why don't we go to break and then we'll come back. Okay. Should we tell people that, you know, um, we have a website. Oh. It's called um, flopredeemer.com. Stuff goes up to it occasionally. We've been trying this new thing been, yeah. where... Um, there's a playlist on Spotify for every episode that just contains all of the songs that we've mentioned throughout the whole episode. They're kind of fun. Like I like putting them together when I'm editing because they really each form like a cohesive picture of like kind of the uh, sphere of music that we're talking it's about. It's like a for sound. Episode. Oh, I was going to say it's like a sound cloud, but that already exists. No, I, it's like I a soundscape. Like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good soundscape to mentally prepare yourself for these episodes. So those are posted to our website. So if anyone beyond the two visitors per month we get to our website have any need to go to flopredeemer.com, it will be to look at those playlists. Because you, yeah, and we'll, we'll also post the names so you can find them on Spotify. And I think these occasionally when we are not completely... Um, on social media, unintentional social media blackout. We occasionally post things to our social media. <laughs> oh. We had a little bit of we had a little bit of a blackout for the for a That's little bit. That's true. That's we true. We should get back into it. We're 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 working on this podcast marketing one hundred and one thing. Or we're attending a webinar. Not even. I mean, we may not even be ready for one hundred and one. Is there any prerequisites for this? Is I think it like we have the prerequisites, but how to be a functioning human being one hundred and one. Um, <laughs> anyway, also uh, email us. Uh, I haven't checked the email address in like two weeks, but nothing ever shows up there except for notifications from Twitter. But if you want to, hey, flopperdeemer at gmail dot com. We'll be there. Let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so today I'm going to talk about the song If Tomorrow Never Comes by Maya, which is from her eighth studio album, TKO. Technical, is it Technical Knockout? <laughs> yes. Um, released, which was released in 2018. So, Barry, when was the last time you thought about Maya? Um, Maya released the hit single, My Bra, in 19... Nope. 2005? Wait, okay. I'm going to look this up. My Bra? She released a song... That did not come up in my... Uh... She released a song to benefit... Um, Oh, is it like breast cancer? I think so. Wait, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia. Okay, My Bra is a song recorded by American singer Maya. It was written by songwriters Cara Diaguardi and James Poiser with production helmed by the latter and commissioned as Lifetime's Stop the Breast Cancer Life Campaign, first ever theme song to raise breast cancer awareness and promote Lifetime's original movie, Matters of Life and Dating. Um, So so 15 years ago was the last time you really truly considered Maya. Oh, 2007, 2007. Maya had fully exited like the cultural psyche at that point. Yeah. And then I saw an iTunes song called my bra and I was like, what the fuck is this? And I bought it. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. It, it's, yeah. It, it's funny. Well, it's a love letter to her bra, but which, anyway. you know, I'm... it's got, it's it knowing now that it was written by Cara Diaguardi. It, it has that Cara Diaguardi kind of vibe to it. Mm, mm. Also ran. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> I mean, the poor man's Paula Abdul. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> sorry. Okay, I know she replaced so, Paula Abdul on American Idol. No, I know. I was just debating if like is Paula Abdul the poor man's Paula Abdul at this point. But no, Paula Paula Abdul is she's got her arthritis under control. I know. I so did she's see back her at to, Pride. She's back to being the rich man's Paula Abdul. Think, she was the I poor think... man's Paula Abdul for a, a minute there. After oh my god, after I was for some reason this week one of the songs I did listen to this week was Cold Hearted. Snake. by Paula Abdul because I was thinking about the video and I was thinking about how the video for Cold Hearted was so sexy mm. at least in my mind mm-hmm. when, it, when it came out when I was like 10 years old mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like writhing dancers on mm-hmm. scaffolds mm-hmm. and um, was it? and I oh but uh, no it's it, it has a very like Paula Abdul's dancing is very jazzy I mm. think like I, I think in like the late 80s uh, early 90s it looked very like hip hoppy and you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But she was like a Laker girl and she's yeah. like a tap dancer, right? So yeah. looking back on it, I'm like, oh, like these are all like kind of cheesy jazz dancey routines, but it's still like dudes in mess shirts. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think at the age of 10, I think it, part of it that was so um, like triggering to me is that it's one of those videos where at the end, they're all dancing and writhing on a scaffolding in front mm-hmm. of these like really buttoned up executives. That's the whole premise of the video. But at, in flash flashes of moments, you see like two men writhing together. Ah. Like they're all writhing together, but you know, it's just that like maybe that just little, their ooh. finger, maybe yeah. just the tips of their pinkies touch uh-huh, or something uh-huh. while they're dancing. <laughs> and I'd be like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I see me. I see me. That, yeah. That type of visual was just like, yeah, not anywhere at the yeah, time. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, anyway, um, what was my point? Oh, but then I was thinking about Paula Abdul's plane crash. Oh, the fake that one. never happened. Yeah, this well, is why Paula Abdul allegedly. supposedly became the poor man's Paula Abdul was that she was involved in a plane crash and broke her back. But people now are like, there's no record of this plane crash ever actually happening. Mm. But anyway, but we're going way off course. I'm sorry. Well, um, yeah. So Cara Diaguardi, my bra, my bra was the last time I really thought about Maya. <laughs> 
2007. This is why I had that prompt because I was like, Barry will talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, because there was a there was a period of time that Maya was really hot. She was everywhere. Well, cause, so it, yeah, she was kind of. She was around. And I remember I remember the series of singles that came out mm-hmm. where everyone was like, These are stinkers. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. maybe you'll talk you'll talk maybe you'll talk about it, but like Io and Raiden. Like there was a whole Yeah, like we're not even gonna talk whole, about those because it just kind of falls into this hole. There was a whole lead up to a, a an album that was supposed to come out in like oh five or oh six. Yeah. So let me let me talk about it. And that. I remember all those songs, all those songs stank. Yeah. So let me talk about this because this is uh, this is key. Okay. So Maya released her eponymous debut album called Maya. That's what eponymous means, listeners. Um, in 1998. Yeah, it means that it's named. It's like like Barbara. Okay. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maya. Like it just sounded like Beyonce. such a weird word. <laughs> it does. Um, and so in 1998, and that featured the singles "It's All About Me." Featuring Cisco and Drew Hill. Um, Ghetto Superstar, which was also on the Bullworth soundtrack. Um, and the song My First Night With You. And these are all okay. kind of like really big hits back in the day. Um, it's All About Me. It's very like, I guess, uh, similar to the Paula Abdul story. Like, I remember people being like, oh, it's so sexy. And then we, I think you and I watched the video and we were like, what is I was happening like, what is here? This? I mean, also, also in the in the cultural appropriation of the late '90s, where she wore like a halter top, not a halter, like a midriff, chong san, yeah, 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 like Chinese the chinoiserie type yeah. of thing, um, the Chinese I, laundry of it all. Yeah, I mean, I guess to me also when you said that you know there was this overt sexuality to this video. I never, I mean, I'm gay, but I would never look at Maya in that way. No, no. Because she's always had kind of an olive oilness to her. Olive oil, <laughs> the character, and not the product. Olive oil, Popeye, not the product. <laughs> olive oil, uh, Popeye's girlfriend. I always think of Shelly, was it Shelly Duvall as olive oil? Yes. Well, because she played olive oil, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I can see that with so, Maya. And I, I, I mean, fully, I don't remember this introduction to Maya because in 1998 I was like a senior in high school so this was fully not the type of music that I was listening to mm. you were still stuck on the party no I mean this is our this this is me like knee deep in alternative yeah. <laughs> alternative rock at this point yeah, yeah yeah so I I actually don't remember Maya at this point except for ghetto superstar I guess that mm-hmm. that was everywhere yeah that right? was big that was inescapable was it Warren Beatty yeah, Warren movie. Beatty, Holly Berry, because it was uh, it was uh, on the soundtrack to Bullworth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big song. I mean, it's yeah. all about me, and the only reason I say sexy is not because I necessarily thought it. I mean, that was what was being pushed. But um, you know, my best friend of the time, this straight straight guy, um, was like, "Oh yeah, I watched I watched uh, this It's All About Me video, and I had to go jerk off." And I was like, "Can you say that? I don't think you should say that." <laughs> You can bleep out that part. <laughs> it wasn't, it's not anybody who knows on this podcast, I don't think. Jason, this is a family-friendly podcast. You can't say that. Sorry, he needed a moment. He needed a to moment. To himself, shall we he say. Had the, he, he had the vapors. He had the vapors, oh. felt full fainting couch moment. And um, 
I remember being like, what? Why? Like, I don't get it. But anyway, I liked the song. I mean, it's all about me. It's it's a classic, you know. Um, <laughs> classic in air quotes. Um, second album, Fear of Flying, was released in 2000. That had the songs Case of the X and Great song. Free. Yeah, Case of the X is a good song. I You know, you know that song. I, I would say that's probably like her iconic, her mo- one of her most iconic songs. You know, the more we talk about songs throughout different points in time on this podcast, the more I start to actually form like a cohesive through line of like what was happening to music and my impressions of music. Mm. Because 1998, I fully do not remember much about Maya. Mm -hmm. But then by 2000, when Fear of Flying comes out and Case of the X comes out, Mm -hmm. I'm like all in. Yeah, because in the the span of like two years... Right, because I feel like it it was also something that happened to, like, Destiny's Child in that period of time. It's a right? very like, similar sound. Yeah, it's it's that. Well, because Destiny's Child had no, 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 mm-hmm. right? And that was more treated as, like, an R&B song mm-hmm. that I was never really that familiar with. But then by the time that Bills, Bills, Bills came out... Mm-hmm. R&B music was becoming pop music again. Yeah, I was going to say, it's starting. you're starting to get this like R&B pop crossover, I think because it was like, for these R&B stars, they needed to sort of be an, uh, like a response to the Britneys, the Christinas, who were pop, but sang sort of R&B inflected, uh, you know, th- there was a mishmash. It was sort of blending of the, of the, of the genres. And then you see the ultimate blend a couple years later when Maya's on the infamous Lady Marmalade reboot with Pink, Ixtina, Lil' Kim, and Missy Elliott, which, again, famously bear you hate. I hate, but I mean, that was a powerhouse song. It was a powerhouse song. Maya was the not that was the least powerhouse of of all of them, it, vocally. Yeah. Well, because that was what, 2004? Two. 2002. Two? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, at that point in time, right? Like, I mean, I, 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 they were all big. They were all big, though. They were all big, but I remember thinking when that song came out, I was like, why did they put Maya on this? Because her voice is so thin. Like, comparatively, you've got Pink, you've got Christina, you've got Lil Kim, who has that husky sort of thing, and Missy, who's, you know, she's again sort of sultry and like kind of deep. Like, Maya's yeah. voice to me doesn't really fit in that mix. She yeah. fit in I, sort of like the bordello sort of vibe, but except that she's, got an olive oiliness to her again um <laughs> yeah yeah well it was such a it was so that that i remember that being interesting too because like they were all in a bordello they've all got these cor- this corsetry moment happening mm-hmm. feathers and we to look at that group of women together i don't know that vocally or visually i ever would have thought of putting those four women together Mm-mm. because i mean pink at that time was very much like a tomboy. But she was kind of, remember she started doing that R&B. It was like sort of, she came out yeah, of the yeah. gate she was with still an R&B, R&B singer, thing, but like, so. I guess just in terms of like image, mm-hmm. like I would not have necessarily thought of all four of those women being together, presenting the same image. Like any two of them, maybe you could be like, okay, this, like I could see like a pink and Lil' Kim. Yeah. Or a or Maya and Lil' Lil Kim. Kim. Or maybe a Christina and Pink. But like all four together, it was a it was a weird vibe ver- vocally because okay, it, so in, in your fandom of uh, female vocalists, I was listening to Maya and I was like, well, Maya has a baby voice. Mm-hmm. Is is she a thin voiced R and B singer? 
Uh, she is not. Or is she like one of the more audibly capable thin voiced singers? I would have said she was just a thin voiced singer before. Until I heard If Tomorrow Never Comes. Okay. Honestly. Because I heard that song and I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. I was listening to a lot, even a lot of her older stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like the quality of her ad libbing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. Is distinctive. And I think yeah. it puts her ahead of the game of a lot of the quote unquote thin voice singers that I adore and you despise. <laughs> yes. Vocally, I like her more than Ashanti. Um, there was a song I was listening to and I was like, oh, kind of like Carrie Hilson here, but I don't hate her. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting because, you know, if we're talking about like famous, thin voiced, cap- but very capable singers, you have like Diana Ross. Um, who has mm-hmm. like a, a, a deceptively powerful voice, I think sometimes. And yeah. um, Minnie Ripperton, not not saying that Maya's like that, but I yeah. think that she is way more capable. Those are more like songbird voices. Yeah, and I think she's she's more capable. Maya has like a baby voice. It's a little Janet Jackson. It's a little Britney Spears. Mm-hmm. Because there's a little bit yeah. of a, it's like a, it's like a baby that growls at you. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's also just, you know, as we've done this podcast and we've examined a lot of music from around this time, I think so much of it now is just a function of that kind of music, mm-hmm. right? We talked about like, it wasn't, it was transitioning from like the, when it was poppy, it was like very troubly, like not a lot yeah. of bass. And I think that just contributes when you have a voice like Maya's, right? Like, it, the and 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 it wasn't like very layered vocals. They're very sort of bright, sort of standalone, mm-hmm. dry. Like not a lot of reverb. You know, a lot of the you things these... that you think that that sometimes help those kinds of voices. Yeah, you get the verses. You get the verses being very spare, and then mm-hmm. you get the chorus that has like the background <laughs> singers only come in for the uh, for the like chorus, a key basically. line or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know. As crazy as that Lady Marmalade collaboration was, I mean, it earned her her first Grammy. I think that was Christina's. No, that wasn't Christina's first Grammy, but Christina was best new artist. It was her second Grammy, I think. And so I, you know, it was it kept her on the map, you know, yeah. as part of this this group. Um, after that, she was in Chicago. Uh, mm-hmm. She played, um, or she didn't have a name, did she? She was just in the cell block tango. Oh, that's right. She was in the movie. Yeah, she was in the movie. Yes. Um, with uh, uh, Renee Catherine Zellweger Zeta-Jones. and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. Queen Latifah? Was Queen Latifah in that Queen movie? Queen Latifah was uh, the the warden. Yeah. Um, Richard Gere. Richard Gere. Richard Gere. Um, uh, John C. Riley. Yeah. Sorry. I'm cellophane just like, man. <laughs> I'm just going deep into my brain of like, what was this movie actually? Okay. Yeah. 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 So but she, Maya so was in it also. She was in that. And like, so, so basically like she's starting to branch out. She's doing like some acting and she also, you know, after her second album, she started to take a more active role in production of her music, including writing. And so when her third album comes out in 2003 called Mood Ring, she had a lot more writing and producing credits. Um, so that album has My Love Is Like Whoa. Great song. Um, and Fallen. Also great song. Which I like Fallen too. Yeah. So there's some pretty good songs. And, um, you know, Mood Ring... I think you're starting to see, again, as that transition from the the late 90s, early 2000s pop R&B to like sort of what a new R&B was going to look like. It's very groovy, a lot more layered, a lot of overlapping vocals. You know, you're starting to see the sound sort of change in that in that area. I feel like to your earlier point, though, like in the early 2000s, there wasn't a lot of like sang in. 
Mm-mm. I think that's that's part of that transition for R&B artists, R&B artists trying to find their way into a pop market is like, I think, you know, they talk about it with Christina Aguilera and how she always wants to oversing, but she was mm-hmm. advised early on to kind of show a little pop restraint. Yeah. But you hear that reflected in all these songs that like, no one's, no one's going No, it's crazy. very, it's very staccato. Yeah. I, I, why did I say it like that? It's staccato. Not staccato. Um, <laughs> You're just trying to enunciate. I'm like fucking Giada De Laurentiis over here. Um, so she also, again, she continues acting. She was in Dirty Dancing, Hot Havana Nights, which I did not see. Love that movie. I did not see that. It was Diego, Diego Luna was in yeah. there, right? Yes. Yeah. Was it good? I saw that in the theaters. I remember when you went to see it. Fun fact. I've never seen the original Dirty Dancing. I've only seen Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights. <laughs> Um, apparently co-starring maya which i don't remember i don't remember her in it at all you know so so all this to say she's you know she's got a lot of irons in the fire she's expanding her capabilities and this leads up to you know the the moment that you were talking about my bra well just her string of (laughs) you know sort of dropping off the map and like having like a string of unsuccessful hits so when i was doing like my very brief look at maya's career uh i was trying to revisit a lot of this old stuff like I felt like Maya was a big hit, right? Mm -hmm. When I looked at the actual, like the Wikipedia chart entries for Mm -hmm. a lot of these songs, even some of her songs throughout like her quote unquote hit era Mm -hmm. kept her only barely on the cusp. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like her, her lead singles would do pretty well. They Mm -hmm. would never really like top the charts. And then her follow-up singles would typically like not do well at all. Well, and honestly, like, I was surprised that like yeah. Fallen, I like I love Fallen. That's a good song. Yeah. It's such a good song. I was surprised that that song did not do well. I think it's it's part of that thing about her voice. But in my recollection that song, I mean, in my house that song did really well. <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. But it's I, one of the ones that I actually have somewhere. But I was like apparently, oh, like Maya never really was able to follow through on huge amounts of success like it would be these fits and starts she wasn't a chart topper yeah for sure yeah. she wasn't a chart topper she was a presence and a, you know yeah she was she was always a presence and i think well regarded yeah right? like my love is like what i i think there's also sort of like a uh, like an also ran quality to her like yeah. where it's like she's like it's it's solid but she's not the one you're watching because like at this time like and Alicia Keys is like rising, right? And it's it's transitioning from these sort of glossy pop star fashioned R and B singers to like the 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 um, R and B is going through this phase where like traditional R and B isn't really a a thing. You've got like someone like Alicia Keys who's like singer songwritery, mm-hmm. and 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 you know you've got neo soul, the Jill Scotts, the Angie Stones you know, all kind of like coming into prominence at this time where there's a re-examination of soul music. And I think that like, unless you're like a Destiny's Child. Yeah. Or Beyonce. Like, you just kind of fall through. Fall away. Yeah, yeah. you kind of fall away, you know? And it's everything not... Everything falls yeah. away. Fa- everything everything fades away. Fades away. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, yeah, because it, it's, it's, it, it's interesting to think about like Destiny's Child kind of going through the 2000s and continuing to kind of stay on top in the face of a lot of the groups and singers that came about in the early 2000s, Mm -hmm. they do fade away. Yeah. And rather abruptly. And and if there's one thing that we've learned about this 
you know, in doing this podcast, it's that very rarely is it the artist's sole fault of any of yeah. this, right? Like she was on Universal Motown at the time, and you think, well, who else was on Universal Motown? It's just like, in terms of being able to stay current, like was the label able to actually promote it appropriately or connect her with mm-hmm. the right people or, you know, put the right budgets behind the production? And was she actually able to do the kinds of things that she wanted to do? So, you know, she, she you know, I, I say this as to lead up to, again, she'd been taking more control, had been doing more. I think what you're seeing with, with Mood Ring is she was taking, she was, it was much more her creation Mm-hmm. Then maybe the first couple, the first two albums, where that was more of like an album, or sorry, like a like a label sort of creation. She wasn't executive producing or anything. Yeah. So she she goes into the studio. Studio. She's getting ready for her fourth album called Liberation, that's scheduled to come out. You know, in uh, two thousand seven, it leaks early in Japan, mm-hmm. and that was completely accidental. But because of the release date, it leaked early there. And you know, we've talked about this, how like, you know, album leaks are huge, were huge at the time because... Hugely toxic. Hugely toxic because, you know, people could get, like you were saying, you were mentioning the singles that you heard, they were trash, right? Like they yeah. weren't great or you didn't like them. And But but it's also like you can, you hear it out of context, right? Like it's not, maybe they weren't done or maybe like they were not in the order that the artist wanted. They weren't able to be packaged. And so sometimes that can have an effect. Okay, by my recollection, this album was supposed to come out for a long time. Yeah, it was. It and then was. there there were, I mean, they officially released some singles. They did. And they weren't trash. They were just boring. They were yeah. big nothings to me. And I, I looked them up in advance of today. Mm-hmm. And, and and by in advance of today, I mean this morning, like mm-hmm. an hour before we started recording. <laughs> um, the two The two singles that, she released two of the singles that she released in advance of liberation were Scott Storch songs. Mm. And I hate Scott Storch yeah. songs. They're terrible. Yeah. All of his songs, every song, he was such a big deal. Yeah. Wasn't he like Lindsay Lohan, Paris Hilton? He did like a Danny D. Kane song mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. terrible. And so it's just very that it was, it was like, it's like Scott Storch and J.R. Rodham worked on yeah. this album. And I was like, well, that's an, that's, that's a pass for me then. <laughs> Well, Honestly. and I think what ended up happening was it was it was a huge success in Japan where it leaked because of the legal ramifications of the leak. It allowed her to get out of her contract with Universal Motown. So she left that. And because of the success in Japan, a record label called Manhattan Records in Tokyo basically offered her a regional exclusive. And they were like, we'll give you a deal exclusively in Japan if you want. And so she took that opportunity, basically. She kind of left the U.S. behind yeah. and just released, she released um, two albums in Japan. Um, the first was Sugar and Spice. It's funny because I feel like there's that thing, there's that thing of like, oh, I'm really big in Japan. Yeah. And I'm like, did it come out of this period? Right? Like, no, people have been saying that for a while, right? But Maya uh, truly yeah. was big in Japan. Maya I mean, was truly big. She was like, look, no one else, like, I, you, you're telling me that like I have the opportunity to get out of this other contract. I can just record. I can record and tour in a place that is loving me right now. Absolutely. Why not? Right. And yeah. and she kind of talks about this period as like everyone just assumes I like lost my way and I wasn't doing anything. She's like I'm fine. Like 
I was successful there. I am still successful there. Like I had a great time. And and not only that, so so Manhattan Records gave her this deal. She releases an album called Sugar and Spice in 2008. After this album, that album was also a success in Japan. After that album, she forms Planet Nine Records. And this was kind of on the advice of her mentors. So she says she credits Prince, you know, with talking Mm -hmm. her about like the importance of being an independent artist, owning all of your own stuff, writing your own music, doing all of that, as well as um, a guy named Jay Prince, um, who's another producer. So she forms this record label. And, you know, she 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 just starts teaching herself everything about the industry, like from writing her own contracts, uh, you know, executive producing. So like, you know, sourcing and recruiting producers, musicians, songwriters, putting everything together mm-hmm. in a way that she wants to do it. So she's like really taking control um, at this time. She also, you know, just to kind of stay occupied, I guess she goes on Dancing with the Stars, the ninth season of Dancing with the Stars. She comes in second. Mm-hmm. And she releases her first mixtape, Beauty in the Streets, Volume 1. Not really anything that I like, but like in interviews at this time and 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 after, she just says like, it was just really freeing for her because as an independent artist who was putting this all together, yes, it had to be self-funded and that was complicated, but it taught her how to do that. And she was also able to just release whatever she wanted when she mm-hmm. wanted to. And, you know... So she did the mixtape and then released a full album called Kiss in 2011. Kiss stands for Keep It Sexy and Simple. And I wanted to hate it, but I started listening to some of the tracks and I was like getting into the 2011 mindset. I was like, this isn't bad. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't not like it. Like, I mean, it, crazy, fully, fully nine years ago. Jeez, nine okay. years ago. And, and if you think about it, like in the U.S., I think the tendency would be to say, to write off these albums as like, well, I've never heard of them, so they weren't good. Like, they weren't getting play, so they weren't good. But that's not really the case. They were released in Japan first, and then they were released as like digital single, or digital only, so like on on iTunes and Apple Mm -hmm. um, in the US. But she was just kind of doing it how she wanted you know, I mean, and, and we can take that two ways, right? We've we've been we've talked about certain artists who are like, yeah, I get to do it on my own, and you know, my definitions of success has changed, and I'm really enjoying it now. And mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's like, well, that's because you literally had no other avenues, <laughs> right? But yeah. I, I don't get the sense from her like she truly like enjoyed doing this. And like, honestly, listening to the music from that album, I'm like, it's not bad at all. Mm-hmm. And she executive produced both those albums. Um, including songwriting. And again, she talks about it. The 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 fact that her album leaked really sort of like she's much more she's very astute. As I was like going through her interviews and like listening, like she was talking about how like she learned to write her contracts and get you know, handle all the paperwork herself with every artist and every musician, every producer, every mixer that she worked with to ensure that nothing would leak again. Hmm. Like she took full ownership and to protect herself. But I think it just kind of speaks to it. It made me respect, you know, we've, we've talked about how like, you know, in doing the research for some of these artists, like I come away with like a better, like a broader appreciation of the, of the artist as a person. Yeah. Um, And that is definitely something with Maya because like, like I mentioned at the top, like she was never my favorite vocalist. Mm -hmm. I always thought her was kind of like wispy and sort of throwaway. You know, and it seemed like she had fallen off the face of the earth mm-hmm. because of that. Like because, because of she it. wasn't, yeah, like an iconic vocalist. Uh huh. 
in the and way it's that like, like no. Beyonce or Alicia Keys or, or all those people that were coming up behind her basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but it's, but then you read, it's like, no, this was, I mean, partially it was circumstantial, but a lot of it was a choice as she continued to develop herself and kind of, you know, release music on her own terms and really kind of hone her craft. And, and, you know, she, after the, after the, the two albums, Sugar and Spice and Kiss, she ended up releasing three additional R&B EPs um, through the mid 2010s. Um, and, and then that culminated in the concept album Smooth Jones, which was released in 2016. And that was, she said it was for her quote unquote grown and sexy fans. <clears throat> and it was conceived as a sort of, as a classic tra- traditional R&B album. Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess... So so this coincides, the release of Smooth Jones coincided with the 18th anniversary of her first single, um, uh, It's All About Me. And that she, fortuitous anniversary, the 18th, the 18th anniversary. anniversary, which is funny, it, it, you know, again, with like Wikipedia, it's like it talks about two anniversaries. It's like eight. it's uh, 18th anniversary, which is when Smooth Jones and then when TKO comes out, that's actually on the 20th anniversary. So. They talk about okay. both, like commemorating both, and I'm like, wouldn't you just commemorate one? Like, but <laughs> but it gets back to like who's writing these Wikipedia. Do we commemorate anniversaries that don't end in five or zero? I, you know, I guess it's like 21st birthday, but oh, 18. Not really I, I guess same. 18 is like you're an adult. 18 sure. is an adult, yeah. And she unless it was about, like to the day, maybe. Well, and she she said she liked to celebrate it because yeah, as far as like independence goes. Right. Like she, okay. this was her, this okay. was her like second fully independent album. And she'd had three mm-hmm. EPs in between. So it was sort of celebrating her like adulthood as an artist, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, she had wanted to do a contemporary R&B album, but she felt like before she did that, she wanted to do, she wanted to bring people along and do like a traditional, more traditional R&B album. And so Smooth Jones has, um, you know, a lot of references to like 70s R&B 80s R&B. Um, it ended up being her highest charting effort since Mood Ring in 2003. Yeah, um, I remember this album coming out. It, and it earned a Grammy nomination for Best R&B Album. And um, so I went to the the Grammys for that uh, for that year. Um, it would have been 2016, 2017. She ended up losing to Layla Hathaway. Okay. Which, you know, that's solid, just solid R&B. But that was also the year that Rihanna's anti- was out and received multiple nominations. And it's um, also the year that Adele's 25 famously beat Beyonce's Lemonade. Um, remember when mm. Adele like apologized to Beyonce while accepting God, her award. That was award. four years ago? Yeah. Gosh, time. Okay. <laughs> so uh, in the midst of all that news, Smooth Jones was just lost mm-hmm. in the headlines. Was kind of lost, but like it's... I just like saying smooth because... Anyone out there who who can't visualize this, smooth is smell. Smooth is smelled. Smooth <laughs> is spelled S M O O V E, and I love it. It's, it's so it's it's supposed to be her uh, like a rate like a late night radio DJ, um, oh. and it's got like some little interludes and stuff. I love it because it's like forty minutes long. Like it's a solid. You know, it's just a it's, it's a, a tight forty, tight forty, and it's just you know, but it's it's jammable. Yeah. Um, again, I hadn't listened to it, but like it's given me a different appreciation because I think going to R and B and contemporary R and B has allowed her. It, it provides a great sort of setting for her voice, and I think that's fully realized on TKO. So, and which is and, released, which is released in twenty eighteen, 
It's her okay. eighth studio album. It was meant, as I mentioned, to be a contemporary R&B follow-up to the traditional throwback R&B of Smooth Jones. TKO had eight singles. And I am certain <laughs> that you have heard of none of them. But I listened I listened this week, you know, and kind of uh, just getting prepared for this episode. And I, it's actually pretty good. And, and maybe it's just the videos. There's There are... She ended up putting a lot of videos, I guess it was like eight videos for this. And oh, wow. it's kind of impressive because, you know, in the interviews where she's talking about, you know, being an independent artist, it also means that like one of the other reasons that you haven't seen her is because it costs a lot of money to do a video. And so if it's, if she's spending a lot of her money on the songwriters, the production, you know, re- self-releasing and distributing this music... It doesn't mm-hmm. leave a lot of money for visual promotion. And as we know right now, a lot of times, like, that's where, you, if you're not, like, actively, like, subscribed to Maya somewhere, like, how would you even know, right? Yeah. There's nothing to promote it. There's no visual to go along with the album. Yeah. And then I think, I mean, there was a lull, I think, in the relevance of music videos for a while, mm-hmm. right? Like, there was kind of a decline of MTV, and then there was a there was a little bit of a lull before like youtube mm-hmm. kind of made music videos kind of relevant again yeah yeah but i think that like i mean but i think that once youtube as like the primary platform for music videos kind of came up it kind of like adjusted our perception of how glossy a music video needs to be mm-hmm. or what you know like what video production quality actually is you yeah know? well and that's what's that's what's interesting because you want, because yes, there for every, for every sort of like, uh, to use your word, like not glossy, modern YouTube-oriented version of a music video, you have like the Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, extravaganza type of things. Yeah, but but that's like more the rarity, right? Like they're 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 smaller in scope, I would say now. Yeah, and I think that like video production in the digital era has become a lot more like egalitarian, like uh, tools are so much more accessible to mm-hmm. the every mm-hmm. everyday person versus, you know, the days of setting up essentially like a tiny film shoot for a music yeah. video and spending yeah. what, like two, $3 million mm-hmm. on a music video. Yeah. You're just not you doing know, that anymore. Yeah. You see the people that are like, what was it? Like, did you see that thing in, was it in Brooklyn the other day that like, just some dude was shooting a quote unquote music video for himself. And he jumped up on top of a bus with a flamethrower and was like, just shooting flames out of a flame gun. It was crazy. Then the ground caught on fire and he like, anyway, did he run away? What did he do? I don't know. (laughs) Now I have permitted music video production in (laughs) New York city. And I think like there's a lot of that, especially as you see like these YouTube stars, like I think of like, like there's a kid named Connor gray who started doing like videos on YouTube and then, doing music and you see a lot of this with like queer young queer pop stars Mm -hmm. who like gain massive followings on youtube and like they self-produce their own videos you know like to your point like a lot of them's like riding bikes down the street like it's it's cute but also it's like you have to be inventive and yeah and how you create that sense of intimacy and a relationship it's become a whole whole aesthetic in and of itself where like yeah 
I guess it's kind of like a lo-fi or like self-shot mm-hmm. aesthetic. It's a very Instagram aesthetic. Yeah, because it does it does look very professional quality. It's not mm-hmm. like the olden days where you had your your VHS camcorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all shaky. Yeah, like like the like enthusiast level video production quality is like pretty good but it has a certain look to it you know yeah, i think that that's yeah. impacted the look of like professionally produced videos well, it's kind of like like i was saying about instagram it's like how instagram makes everyone's photography and sort of their life sort of look the same because you have the same whatever 15 20 filters and the same sort of crops and it sort of forces everyone to either either you go way outside the box and you you really try to leverage that format to do something really different and stand out Mm -hmm. or like everything, everyone's food sort of looks the same. Everyone's group photos look the same. You know what I mean? Like it's because it all has that sort of glow. Yeah. It's, it's changed. Like it's changed what we think the world actually looks like. It gets sculpted this vision for us about Mm -hmm. like, Oh yes, this is what food looks like. Or this Mm -hmm. is like, this is what a person's face looks like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's definitely changed. I mean, and so so with this album, TKO, Maya does a lot of, d- does several videos. And I think what's interesting is it was such a reintroduction for me back into Maya. And she does a lot of dancing. And she's so good at dancing. I mean, she, she's, she's a tap dancer. She was a tap dancer. Yeah, right? with like Gregory Hines. Like she comes from that. She came from, she was a dancer first before she got her music deal. Mm. And so it's kind of... There are these paired back videos. It's mostly just her. There might be a couple other people every once in a while. But again, when you're talking about like pairing it back for now, right? Like there's an intimacy there. This always happens to me. A lot of times watching the video will make me appreciate the music more. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it is just her and it's fairly simple. But I think, you know, especially after like, so you think you can dance and all this stuff where it's like increased my vocabulary for dance. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate it a lot more now. And I appreciate her talent. I mean, she's 41, right? Like, she's still doing it. And I think her voice just sounds great in contemporary R&B. Like, it's just very... Her voice sounds better than better to me than ever before. And mm-hmm. so that finally brings me to my song, If Tomorrow, okay. if tomorrow Never Comes. If Tomorrow Never right. Comes is the last song on the TKO album. It's a ballad. Um, as is my way. Um, I heard it on a, it was, I was listening to some, some artist radio on Spotify. And I remember hearing this song. I was like, who is this? Because her, it just doesn't sound like her to me. Uh, like it, that thin voiced warbling that I, that I, that I used to associate with her. It's, mm-hmm. it's a lush sort of throwback R&B ballad. It's reminiscent of like eighties and nineties sort of pop R&B it caught my ear right away. And like I said, her voice sounds stronger. It doesn't sound whiny, like I've accused her of in the past. And that's not just me. I mean, her official Wikipedia page, when it talks <laughs> about like her legacy and influences, like it's like uh, her voice has been described as, quote, thin and, quote, weak. So, no like, one is protecting her, so her, her online presence. Yeah, that's like on her Wikipedia page. And I don't think it's like that here. There's lots of layers, and I think that helps. Um, lots of vocal layers. There's a proper bridge, which I love. I yeah. love a good bridge. 
What's interesting, two things I learned about the song. It was actually recorded in 2011. Huh. She talks about having like a huge archive of stuff and that because she is independent and sort of self-producing all of this, she can go back to her vault, she can release whatever she wants and like reproduce it or whatever, you know, like, and she's got a lot of material that she can pull from and release when she wants. Um, the vocals, I would mention that it's like throwback. Um, in an interview, it was she, she said it was actually the vocals arrangement was inspired by Jodeci. And it took me a couple minutes, but there's, there are some like referential sort of hooks and um, interpolations. And I think even some of the way the vocals kind of circle around in the ad libs, they do. Mm-hmm. Remi- I, I hear it. Yeah. Right. It's just interesting. Cause yeah, I'm trying, I'm listening to it right now. I guess, I guess I would never make that connection because the production feels much fresher than that. That to me is, that's a skill. Like I'm me. assuming she, I'm assuming she must have reproduced this song to release it in 2018 because in 2018 I'm sure of it I I would I would have been shocked if it was recorded like this in 2011 yeah it probably wasn't but I think that's to me again as I've dug into Maya to me that speaks to why I think this album and this song in particular is worth a listen because to reference sort of 90s R&B record it nine years ago and then release it you know, in 2018 and still have it sound very current. Yeah. And this at this level to me is she's just talented. Like you can't deny her talent. And I think that for a long time I did. (laughs) And so that like, I I think this gave me a real respect for her as a musician. I mean, I looked at the album credits. Not only did she write all of the songs and executive produce, she engineered all of the tracks. Like she, when I say like she taught herself everything she did, which Again, like, I think that's great. I think that's cool. So yeah, so that's, that's you know, that's that's my song. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever, you know, I'll, we'll post it online, obviously. But give it a listen. Everyone I've, that, I've, that I've, you know, pre-pandemic, I, you know, when we'd be driving, I'd play it for people. And they were always surprised. They liked it, and I wouldn't tell them who it was. It, and they were all surprised when they heard Like, I think you'll feel the same way. You know, um... Aside from that, like she's still she's still releasing. She's released uh, a single. She released two singles this year, uh, "Space and Time," which reminds me of Desiree's "You Gotta Be" okay song from like the late nineties. Um, I deserve it in October. I, I don't know if I like them as much as I like the twenty eighteen stuff, but you know she's just been kind of all over the place. Her Planet Nine records. She she's a vegan, and she'll tell you about it. But um, <laughs> she sells a vegan red Cabernet Sauvignon with quote plum infusions vegan cabernet oh because does wine is wine they use black fish bladders they use fish bladders or they might use egg whites you know in some of the processing in like filtration Uh uh-huh so she has a vegan wine it is available on her website for like 60 bucks (laughs) and has a horrible label it just says planet nine fine wine (laughs) okay i mean that's funny like i remember in this whole like interim period when Maya kind of disappeared slash was going independent, mm-hmm. her album covers yeah were bad. Well, I remember Kiss. I remember that album cover being kind of cool looking, mm-hmm. but a lot of her other album covers, I was always just like, it just it just looks low budget. It know? does, and I get that maybe that's not where she wanted to put her money anyway, because mm-hmm. you know she has limited resources and has to put it all into kind of like her songwriting or her production and all yeah. of that business and her contracts. I'm sure. 
but I think that like, yeah, for me, it, 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 it always left me with this impression that, oh yeah, Maya's like a has been, yeah. but all this stuff was kind of happening in the background and also happening in a way that I'm assuming that for her, she came out way ahead. Yeah. Right. Instead of trying to struggle against a major label system and, you know, make a fraction mm-hmm. of the money coming in that, you know, you could go for maybe a more humble result, but take the lion's share of it. Yeah. I think that's something that we've touched upon with a lot of these artists that eventually start self-releasing their music. I think when we talked about other artists that maybe it seemed like independently releasing stuff was like their last resort Mm -hmm. or maybe not something that they had a choice in. It wasn't something they wanted to do. Yeah. You know, you know, just the fact that Maya has continuously been releasing music, I think speaks very highly because I think, I feel like a lot of artists that go like the self-releasing route, even without the barrier of a major label, their output becomes very sparse. Mm -hmm. And then you begin to realize like maybe the problem (laughs) wasn't entirely the label, just like the bureaucracy of a major label. Maybe that there is like a creativity block or like a capability block Mm -hmm. involved. Yeah. Right. Like we all have the dream, like, Oh, I'm going to go work for myself and I'm going to do great things. Yeah. But then when you get down to the brass tacks of it, it's just like, oh shit, like everything is hard. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's funny, like she says she's a hustler. She describes herself as a hustler. And, you know, she talks about like, so, so even the album cover art, because you were talking about like how the album cover looks crazy on a couple of It just looks, I mean, it It just looks like a low budget photo shoot with low budget retouching, Mm -hmm. not low budget, but like very, very minimal. I mean, it's clearly, it's just maybe no budget. It's just, it's just like repurposing something. You're like, was this, I don't know if this yeah. was intended for Because even when I, uh, like I was looking at TKO's album cover and I was like, wait, wasn't this the Smooth Jones album cover? But I was like, oh no, it's a, it's similar. It's a slightly different broad But here's the thing. So she talks about it, right? She talks about how like, you know, just again, being scrappy and just, she has these photographer friends. And so every once in a while she'd come across like some cool furniture or something and they do like stage like an impromptu photo shoot. And they would actually, they would they would get all of this stuff and then she just kind of keep it in an archive so she oh. could use it for things later and didn't have to pay like a ton of money for a new shoot. So the Smooth Jones album cover was shot by her friend when they found this chair and they were like, let's just play dress up and let's just do some photos. So that's where that came from. She was just in a store. She's like, oh, look at that chair. Let me just strip down to my bra. <laughs> Well, she didn't. I mean, she was like, well, we're going to have fun with it. Maybe she purchased the chair and brought it home first. (laughs) It's possible. After this album came out, she was also in a reality show called Girls Cruise on VH1. Okay. With Lil' Kim and Chili. Okay. And basically, they go on a luxury cruise around the Caribbean. And it just, it follows them. They go to Barbados to visit Rihanna's home or something. I kind of want to see this now. Because I'm like... Wait, they visit Rihanna's home without Rihanna? I don't know. I mean, I think okay. it's like <laughs> the home of Rihanna is Barbados. It's, I, I, you know, to pay homage. Oh, oh, I was like, I thought they like drove past, they drove past her house. <laughs> They're like to pay homage to the queen. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I'm like... I kind of want to watch this now and be like, what is that even like with the three of them? She's currently starring on the show, The Fifth Ward. Uh, it's on the Urban Movie Network. Oh. So I don't know where that is, but it's in its second season. It's got some 
some critical acclaim. She she she's about it's about a single mother in Houston struggling to stay on the straight and narrow, but faced with limited options to keep her family secure and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, she's still kind of firing on all cylinders. She's making things happen. Yeah, she was on a podcast about it by Black Girl, the Black Girl Nerds podcast, which is actually a really funny podcast. But she was talking about her role on it. Like, she's taking her acting seriously. She's doing a lot. So that's Maya. That's she Maya. works hard for the money. I hope she's making money. I think she is. She says she's doing fine. That's my main concern with all these with all these people that kind of fall away. I'm always concerned for their livelihoods because I don't know why I'm conf- concerned for their livelihoods. But, you know. Like she said, she's a hustler, right? So you just hear this you just hear the stories about people that hit it big and then it faded fast and then but i think that's that's where it is right so like she you know she obviously made money in japan touring she was constantly touring chili how is chili doing i don't know but i mean they were on the vh1 reality show which leads me to believe that like so many of these people they're doing it to get paid i don't know yeah. what the economics of it are but you know it i mean it must be somewhat i mean swv did it it was enough for what's her name to no longer have lily to not work in an accounting office anymore <laughs> Guess. Like I mean, it's it's clearly not like enough money to live off of forever. Because I guess, well, I guess Chili, Chili and T Boss, they they collected some money on that. Uh, they did like a GoFundMe. Well, and they had a store, or at least T Boss had a little children's store. Oh yeah, yeah. Chili, what was Chili doing? Oh, you know, well, I mean, Chili, Chili was in some pretty high profile re- relationships, right? Yeah, I don't know how it works. The economics. Well, she has a, of a she has a she has a kid star. with Dallas Austin, and then oh, okay. I mean, I feel like she's been because wasn't there a show about like dating her? Like, oh, yeah. right? I mean, I feel like you know, at some point, you just string together, you know, these these gigs. You're always going to have opportunities when you're kind of like a iconic personality, right? Yeah, and I wonder whether too, or not you want to whether or not you want to take up those offers is probably the big debate, right? Like, uh, yeah, I always think you know we think about uh, even back in like Cher doing the makeup infomercials. Uh huh. And Dion Warwick doing the Psychic Friends mm-hmm. Network. Those were like potentially career ruiners, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like if you are, if you have any hope of kind of clawing your way back from obscurity, you have to really carefully consider the opportunities given to you, right? Like you, yeah. you're probably getting presented with ideas daily that are like, oh, um, we have like this great hemorrhoid cream that we'd like you to endorse or, you know, stuff like that. Or like, mm-hmm. we want you to do a, a commercial for our like local used car dealership or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you could probably string together like a decent livelihood, just sustaining yourself on your previous notoriety, right? Yeah. Just do whatever you can in perpetuity. But like, if you've any hope of ever reclaiming superstar status, yeah, you're probably scared to take up all the opportunities that cross your desk. Cause at that point people are only offering you thing based offering you things based on your like current level of like, but I, I also wonder, I also wondered though, I mean, so this is something it's like a tangent. It's okay. We can wrap it up. Tangent, tangent away in looking in doing research on like these, these quote unquote faded R and B stars. Right. A lot of times it takes you in order to find because like they're not being covered by Billboard or like the New York Times isn't writing a profile on them. So you end up going to these sort of more niche online publications and they're like the Nocturnal, which is Noc spelled with K-N-O-C-K, like Noc. And it's like only like hip hop and old R&B stars and the writing is like hit or miss. 
you know, or like you got, you know, I got sold like, they, like these like very niche sort of online publications where they're giving these little interviews to. And, you know, it's like all the ads are for like love and hip hop. All the ads are for, you know, whatever. I wonder to what extent, though, it's like the audience doesn't need anything more. like, you know, we're talking about like they have to be really careful about what they do in terms of, you know, choosing their next project. It seems like, I mean, and maybe I'm just extrapolating, like, as you go into these smaller audiences or smaller publications and things, they're eating it up like mm-hmm. they're reality shows, right? Or like they're smaller projects or they're smaller TV appearances. They're, they're, they're constant dissection of like their appearances on like The Breakfast Club or whatever, right? Like it's, it's a whole ecosystem of media that sort of supports, continues to support their career even if it is much lower profile than we're used to seeing, mm-hmm. like it doesn't bubble up to our radar. I feel like it's almost enough. And like most of them yeah. live in like, you know, they'll live in Atlanta, they'll live in like Houston or they'll live in, you know, these, these places where they're not like cheap, but they're a lot less expensive than living in LA or New York. And I think that like the balance of those things and just doing enough kind of, it allows you to, be okay you know in some ways right like you don't need to do the huge projects all the time maybe that is that is changing maybe that idea that you need to keep up a certain level of like cachet in terms of Mm -hmm. like your appearances or what you choose to associate yourself with that could be like a very old school way of thinking Mm -hmm. about basically like your brand or marketing yourself but i still think that there's I mean, if I yeah. put myself into that position, I would think that there's a little bit of ego involved. Absolutely. In, you know, understanding what your worth is, but like also reassessing your worth continually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That like, if you do reach a point where maybe you aren't as relevant or you aren't in the public eye as often, that your value, uh, you know, it can it contracts a little bit. Yeah. And and like struggling with that, knowing what your value is and the perceived value. Yeah, because I think it's, you know, from a very layman standpoint, like I think we can all think about our own position within the job market in whatever field we work in. Mm-hmm. You know, there's booms and busts. There's points where a lot of people are unemployed. And to, to, to think about like your own worth in the face of like having to look for a new job and believing like, well, I know that I was worth this at one point and mm-hmm. I only want to be worth that or more mm-hmm. going forward. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, at certain points having to confront like an idea that like I might not be worth as much as I had been yeah. previously yeah, in the job, in the job market, in whatever career path you're on. Yeah. Like I've definitely experienced that of just, kind of like kind of hitting a correction point uh, and being like what makes me competitive or recognizable within the this huge pool of talent that I exist within and then well you know like we're getting we're we're getting we're old. getting older I, yeah we're like going to be like the old people nobody wants to hire at some point cuz Maya oh like Maya's like my age yeah she was born in okay. sep- yeah she's a little bit older than you a little bit older than me like cuz it's it is that thing like i mean full midlife crisis of i started thinking about this a lot recently is like in that you know i work in a creative industry i have i have very little aspiration or almost no aspiration to 
develop any kind of managerial experience. I don't think it's my personality. It is and it isn't, but like in general, I think in implementation, I'm not, I'm not the personality to be a manager mm. of other people mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. But when I try to think about basically trying to sustain myself within this kind of mid-level creative position that I've carved out for myself in the face of younger, more current talent coming up behind me, mm-hmm. I get worried about being like 60. Mm. Being like irrelevant. And unable to retire. <laughs> I mean, there are those people, you know, I know what you mean because it's like, occasionally I'll get like uh, a professional, you know, someone will reach out like a vendor say, Hey, you know, if you ever need such and such, maybe consider this person. We've worked with them for a long time. Um, They're really great. And yeah, it's like, it's like a 60 year old person who's been working at like a small, maybe like real estate focused magazine doing all kinds of things, right? Like, doing the writing, doing the layout, doing whatever. And it's like, I don't really need that capability in a person yet. But like, I'm like, I can't imagine like when you're 60 and like, you're like, okay, now I got to like go out on my own. Yeah. And it's like, no one's putting together a newsletter anymore like that. Yeah. And it's not like, it's not like, it's not like those skills aren't transferable. Yeah. But it's also like, to your point about being current, it's like, it's also not being pitched to me in a way of like, well, what do I really need right now? Yeah. Right. Those skill sets. Yeah. You know, like culturally, I feel pretty in touch with like new and emerging things. Mm-hmm. But Twitch aside. I'm like, well, it, but that's the thing is like, I don't use a lot of stuff, but I, I know what you stuff know it, is. Yeah. I kind of understand the basics of like how it's used. Just, you know, it's part of part of what I do for a living, mm-hmm. but it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. I have waning interest in all of it. Yeah. So it's like a challenge. And then I have to think about well, like, well, work is work. Uh, if this is what I need to, or if this is how I plan on sustaining myself, you know, for the foreseeable future, for the next, God, 25 years until I have enough to retire, you know, I have to treat it as such and just stay. I have to, I have to, I have to tap into my inner Maya and just keep the hustle going. You just got to learn how to do it all yourself. I have to. I have maybe I should look in my archives. Look in my mm-hmm. archives from 2011. See what things I can dredge up, reinvent for 2020. I don't know. <laughs> I'm fully having like a uh, what is it? The Steve Buscemi like uh, hello, hello, hello fellow yellow young people <laughs> moment. <laughs> I know, I know. We, I, you know, we'll have meetings sometimes, and all of our references, like no one will understand them. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it was a really big thing. I I just want to make sure that I'm I will have a uh, a smooth Jones moment, and not a hello fellow young people. A critically acclaimed, publicly ignored, personally fulfilling album. I mean, can you imagine? That's actually pretty crazy. That like, what Maya would have been 36, 36 mm-hmm. years old to have the self confidence to coin something like smooth Jones. Mm-hmm. That's that's ballsy. I admire her. Uh, yeah. And I I mean that, especially after this podcast. Well, because I feel like anyone anyone in their 30s trying to come up with something, anything. <laughs> well, and I think just to like, you know, we all have this desire to let people know that we're good at something. Right? Like even among friends, right? We still got it. We still got it, Jason. <laughs> it's one thing to like for you to know. 
But it's like you want people in your life to know that you're good at this thing that you're good at, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I don't I mean, need I, anyone to believe that I'm good at anything. I just need to be able to re- retire comfortably. That's all I need. <laughs> and to have principal or whatever, my um, my 401k stop sending me emails that like, your 401k is in the red. You need to put, <laughs> you'll never be able to retire or something okay. like that. Okay. No, it's like God. My my four hundred one k never is is never that alarmist. I think I just never. It's more like, the, the hey, do you want to update your contributions yes. by one or two percent? Yeah. If you retire, if you plan to retire at sixty five, yeah, you'll currently be making seven hundred dollars a month. <laughs> Mine's like you will live for three months. <laughs> I'm like thanks. <laughs> That's why we're doing this podcast. One can only hope. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. All right. Did well, we, did we hit all the points? I think we, we hit did. All the points. We did. Okay. And we're largely on time. So we hit all the points and more. We learned. Well, we learned about how awesome Maya is and yeah, why we should model our lives after Maya because she's fully maybe three or four months older than me. So I've got three or four months to, to catch rise. Up to the level of Maya. Again, I'm going to tap into my archive. I'm looking forward to your I'm looking forward to your sexy dance video shot in your garage. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll set it up. I'll set it up. Um, can you dance sexily in Birkenstocks? Probably. I mean, you just have to tighten the straps, right? <laughs> so they'll go flying. They go off. flying off into the camera. <laughs> full full like was it Patty LaBelle that would kick her shoes out? <laughs> See, there you go. There you go. You can just like get crazy and kick them off. Yeah, not sexy, crazy. Um, anyway, uh, special thanks to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social media at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopredeemer. And as always, you can email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com. Goodbye. Goodbye.